0: Welcome to From A to Zigzag, a podcast featuring creative practices in Southeast Asia. Join me, Nadia Wang, as I speak to guests about the foundations of their illustrious careers and the decisions and happenstance that have shaped them. For today's episode, I'm pleased to be speaking with Natalie Hannadige, Festival Director, Singapore International Festival of Arts, or SIFA, as it is better known. So, hi, Natalie. Hi, hi, Nadia. Thanks for having me. I hope you're doing well today and um, I want to just start from point A. Um, Could you speak about your education in school and how that planted the seeds for your creative practice?
1: So I discovered theatre at uh, VJC uh, where I was meant to do science. So my first year I was in um, the triple science class, physics, chem, bio, um, because I think I was on my parents (laughs) um, track for for our careers, which is which was all um, was a medical career. Yeah, which um, some of my sisters have um, have successfully um, endured and thrived in that path, but it wasn't for me. So as in junior college, you get to it's your first encounter with sort of different um, study choices I guess the combination of subjects then becomes a a, more of a choice for you for for students at that time and so and also being in student council it was a bunch of people from all the different kinds of faculties so that's how I I I got to know first of all friends from theatre studies and then I would just go and check out their classes, actually, really literally just be at the door, just look through the window to see what's going on in the classroom, and then being invited in, um, just participating, you know, um, and then deciding that, I think, finding something clicking, you know, um, finding something very innate about just being in that rehearsal room, or the rehearsal classroom where there were no desks and you begin by standing in a circle, which is radical, right? For me at that time. And you just have to take this brave step of creating within the canvas of, that the circle defines, which is stepping into the center of the circle and and doing something physically responding to to a, uh, impulse right or a or a stimulus and that just opened up my mind and opened up my um, the possibilities of, of 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 the application of my imagination and and creative self so that was my first encounter then of course I, I went on to LaSalle which was another kind of 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 wilder in the most uh, beautiful sense of discovery um, of understanding theatre and and the theatre lineage that there was an artistic family that I was starting to build with my friends and collaborators but then understanding that we all came from this lineage of uh, artistic um, and creative uh, minds and people that were brave that, that cross histories and cultures. So I'm talking about, you know, from Peter Brook to Aryan Murnushkin to uh, Robert Wilson to um, all these people that, um, that I found were part of a kind of a family or lineage that, that I had become a part of, me and my friends, you know, us, you know, silly, naughty, playful people, we were part of this great lineage. And I loved
0: that. That sounds so fascinating. I mean, from your time in Victoria Junior College, um, I so understand that parent path, um, and, you know, understanding, I think also that you made these connections and you found your place, right, in this big family. Um, and then you continued building on that at your tertiary education um, institution at Salle. So could you talk about, you know, what your first production was or what your first internship was, you know, something that you were a part of that you produced together with this family? Yeah,
1: well, I'd say that... Um, so. For the A-levels, we had to create a, so our, the A-level, part of the A-level examination for theatre, apart from the written exam, was that you would have to create an original work. Um, You would have to make theatre, and then they would would bring in a a uh, UK-based assessor, right? Because it was, it's A-levels. you know, that it was A-levels, that it was an exam was not primary to me because to me, the the test was making this work, you see. So, and I guess um, that reflects, I guess, uh, the career pathway up until now, right? Those of us who are creating performance, you test your work, you test your festival, uh, you put yourself out creatively on the line and it is actually... You're, you're receiving, it's, it's, it's quite a, a public uh, response. So for me, making the work was not just about uh, presenting it to the examiner, but it would also be, we would get this showing at the Lecture Theatre at Victoria Junior College. And that would be my first audience, right? The, the group's first audience, which would be our peers from... Um, and so that was, for me, that was what I was gunning for. So we put together this this piece called A Matter of Potency. <laughs> so at the time, we were studying restoration comedy. So I, I used that, right? That, that idea of the stock characters, larger than live characters. So there were these ridiculous characters that we came up with, like Lila Dowager, who was like padded. She was like this. And, and then there were these two other wives, Snow Sparrow, brainless, who was dumb, <laughs> gloriously dumb. And then uh, there was... Uh, uh, Lose's flower, big boobs. I mean, you can see we were in junior college and that was our, <laughs> that was where we were at. But we applied restoration comedy, but gave it this kind of strange <laughs> oriental um, um, two-dimensionality, right? Um, and we kind of put this all together. It was basically three wives who found a way to get back at their at their uh, cheating husband, big lawyer. So, and it was riotous. I mean, we drew from from what we learned, right? We were applying restoration comedy with these kinds of uh, broad, funny storylines. Uh, there were these characters, but we wanted to kind of also make it our own. So, at that time, you know, I just remember kind of, you know, we we had a uh, there were four of us in in the in the group. And one of my friends was like she said look i can have i have access to my dad's carpentry tools i said yeah okay good So build a set and then we had this mess i was like very intent on not just having three blocks <laughs> you know because there was i sort of like said let's go for this hyper theatricality let's just do it and and so that was and then i, I went to like chinatown to find sort of Chinese like 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 Teresa Tang or whatever kinds of music and I would write lyrics to music right um, and then we put the script together we got costumes together and it was sort of my this first encounter of this of making something that you you put there's no limit to the amount of time you put in there's no fixed hours um, it was about working together it was about working really hard I remember sort of, we all put in that time. And I remember being quite obsessed with it. I, I had a, a, a notebook as I was putting together the script. It, that notebook would be, be with me when I slept, when I went, when I showered, it would be somewhere there. I wrote on the bus, I, I wrote everywhere. So it was this kind of um, dedication and obsession to, to creating something, putting in so many hours just because you wanted to and that was to me that's where um, the education so we're still in school right then but it was for me an unknowing glimpse into what it takes to be in this professional pathway there's no fixed timing it's your own timing and it's your own um, dedication it's your own discipline and and you're delivering things. There are really, I guess, there are things you have to deliver and execute uh, to a high level. And, it's, um, and it tests you uh, on so many levels. But yeah, so that was a kind of an example of, of school life opening up into this, what, it, what this career actually entails and what it demands of, of, of those who choose to take this path.
0: Right. It sounds so immersive, and I can already see how you're really tenacious with your vision, and also that you were very resourceful. I'm sure we'll come back to those um, qualities. And I'm just wondering, when you went to Lasalle, how did that kind of further entrench, you know, your belief that this was your path? Um, did you, you know, find, as you said, right, you you kind of found your people, your tribe, your family, yeah. but how did that experience helped to further enhance you know this ambition that you had i mean i think it was actually
1: more than ambition it was just this kind of no i wouldn't see ambition there was this will there was a kind of this will to do things and not be limited by anything which meant that and and for me it was this sort of not waiting to have permission to do something or not being told to do something so i was Lucky, right? I was amongst like-minded people, and we were like, we were apart from our lectures that we went to. I remember having a group of friends, and again, apart from from like the schedule, uh, classes and lessons, we said, oh, you know, um, we need to, we can do more. We've got more energy, and let's 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 um, let's propose a festival to our like lecturers. <laughs> so we'll make a festival, and and let's make a festival. So. So we, we, we put together our own committee, right? And th- this was not a, a task. It was not a, it was not a task. We just said, oh, look, we were at the old Goodman Arts Center campus. And we said, oh, okay, wouldn't it be cool like if we like had a show like under the stairwell and then like another piece like in this classroom and then another piece like along this corridor and another piece and let's just do it. And let's create our own pamphlets. So we called it like Plunge. And we basically became, we initiated these things ourselves. We All we did was actually, so, and all we needed was actually um, the lecturers to just let us be, you know? And I think you, you, you earn that trust by being, actually by being present, you know? You And all you need to be is actually really present and charged in your... In your classes (laughs) right and um, you bring in your true self whatever that might be we all go through stuff right as young adults and that's part of it but I think if you're amongst um, lecturers and um, people who can enable you um, and they see that it's part of you know that what you're creating and what you're making which is which is um, comes with a kind of a vision, but it, you're also willing to put in your own kind of of time, uh, creative resources, um, and you're willing to just um, be hardworking and and actually be brave, just just be risk taking and and go for it. Then you you kind of just need um, that sort of of space, and of course, you know, our, our lecturers watched over us. I mean, they 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 looked at what we were doing. We went to them now and then for sort of like, um, sort of, just to be aligned, you know, just to be respectful, right, of of the spaces that we were using. That we weren't just sort of uh, being entitled and just demanding that we we do things there. But but I think because because the lecturers at the time and the 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 dean and and everyone looked at us and said look these are these are young people on the cusp of a professional trajectory uh, who are really going to who are really keen who have ideas who are coming up with the plans and the blueprint and who are presenting it to us so then they enable the space for us and for me that that for me is is about our arts right the arts is about partnership, it's about enablers, it's about uh, bright ideas, and it's how the ideas then can manifest themselves um, when different parties, you know, work together and allow something to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, listening to you, it just sounds so exciting that you saw possibilities everywhere, right? I mean, the possibility of a festival, even the possibility of spaces where to perform. Wow. And then the idea of kind of like generational support almost, like, you know, you, you wanted to run with your ideas, but then you kind of also looked to um, who had come before to kind of seek guidance when necessary. Um, so I wanted to ask then, you know, when you left LaSalle, what was your first job or first project? Well,
1: I freelanced for about, about four years before I joined the necessary stage. So I'll talk about those freelancing years. My attitude then was just, I would do anything. There would be no ego to what I would do. I would just do, um, I was keen on, on 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 making a living, right? And sort of to to prove that that I had, I was able to, I, I was going to be able to um, look after myself. So actually I, I did a lot of um, like one of the things that I did was I I worked with Tina Sargent, who was, who had a company called Mime Unlimited, the late and great Tina Sargent, who was one of my early, I would say, Teachers slash lecturers and and with Mime Unlimited, we would do um, these little gigs. Some of it was we did stuff at shopping centres, <laughs> so it's like at Christmas time there would always be like a stage at a shopping mall, right? And and we would we were basically we did a Mime performance and we 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 basically would do these little skits to to entertain. Like families and and shoppers, and for me that was um, I really loved that, and I still like when I when I walk into malls and I see like um, you know like like a like a like Frozen or or some Disney thing, and they're doing I, I kind of really I really have a respect for for anyone who's out there doing anything uh, because it it it's you're you're still. To me, that there's—it's all part of it. It's all part of. I mean, my first encounter was when my mom chucked me at a, at, dropped me at a at a place where I could watch like um, Act Three. They they did like strawberry shortcake, right? And then my mom would go shopping. So for me, and that was watching like strawberry shortcake cake and purple pie man who I found out Fanny Key was playing purple pie man. I did not know these things, but as a child, I was just like oh, purple pie man and lemon meringue. And, and then I did that in a way. And, and so for me, it's all, you, you do it with a kind of a, even though we're, we're getting changed at some, at the restroom, at a shopping mall, and we're putting on our makeup at some kind of at the at the at the sound console you know or like a little area for me you you, we really took it seriously like we rehearsed for those shopping center shows we put all ourselves into it and and we really cared about like about what the kids and their parents how they were feeling how so for me um i i I like that that was my beginning you know like and sometimes we get a gig say maybe at like a at a corporate event where people were like didn't care about what we we're doing and kind of didn't they were having their drinks and all that but that kind of humility was also very important for me like it's okay that people um you know didn't really care that you were doing your little acting thing you were just entertain us by the side but we still um we still did it with dignity and we still did our thing so so yeah my my first uh, freelance encounters were performing at shopping malls at at at, at corporate gigs and and at assembly shows also then then when I joined TNS I, I was that was my staple I remember we were like paid like maybe 45 a show so I would rack up my shows so maybe I count like oh if I have 17 shows this month that would be how much I would have to like spend at Tower Records or watching movies right um and then just kind of traveling in a out of a van going from secondary school to secondary school and performing on that stage to students right and you'd be hot and sweaty but and this time and and by this stage when i was with the necessary stage that the shows were, were these little pieces that had a real social statement to make or they really reached out to to teenagers right in a about About family and and about peer pressure, about navigating life as a young person in Singapore. And I really found that power of art, you know. And just to be there, to be there in the assembly hall with, uh, you know, hundreds of students and and acting your heart out, (laughs) this was
0: my um, beginnings, these were my foundations. You know, these. These memories of yours brings back fond memories of mine. So I mean, like just going to shopping malls, yeah, watching these shows on stage, so much different from now, which is all about, I don't know, like cartoon characters or like, you know, um, things like that. But, you know, it just, there was a pureness about it then. Um, And also the assembly shows were amazing always because, you know, there was such anticipation and I'm sure you got a lot back from the audience as well. Um, and that was part of the fun of it. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask, then, you know, after these four years of freelancing, what what happened next, and you know, how did you um, advance your career? How did you kind of work out what you wanted to do next? What was the strategy?
1: So, Theatre Works had this festival called "Got to Go Play Till Dawn," which was an overnight festival that I think I either I submitted a play for, right? Uh, So again, I had friends who were, by this time, we had graduated LaSalle. So my friends who had graduated graduated LaSalle, we we were all kind of freelancing and and doing our own thing. Uh, But we submitted this play, which I, I wrote, it was called Near Normal, right? And it was about like, it was like a, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but for women, <laughs> so it was like a one flew over the Google's nest. But it was all this, uh, all these female girl. There was this girl and quirky characters. They were my friends, right? Um, who were playing all these parts? And I think we submitted our proposal to Theatre Works at the time. And so they programmed us. And and remember, our show was at like two in the morning. So we and it was at the Black Box Theatre at um, Fort Canning Hill at the time. And I think that was where um, we were noticed, or at least I think the the professionalism, uh, I mean, being part of a festival and I guess maybe an artistic language was beginning to um, emerge because I wrote and directed that um, in a f- more formal way like prior to that um, yeah I took I took some of the lead in my school work you know with writing stuff but it was still you know you, you're still in a group and eh? but this time you, you kind of also take this stand to kind of just define what your roles are so whether you're an actor in the piece you're a director you're a writer you're the set designer you're the lighting designer whatever we were starting to build this kind of in a way, our own kind of um, structure. And so I think, so, so I think that 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 many people saw that work. Um, and somewhere down the line, and 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 in tandem, I had been doing my freelance acting with TNS. So I think it was just a natural kind of synergy. I think they they saw they TNS was always always, still is embracing of, of uh, younger pet practitioners so so and, and nurturing them right I mean Harish and Elvin are very much my artistic parents um, and so when they invited myself and, and other young artists um, before and after me people like uh, Alfian Sa'at and and um, uh, Chong Xian you know um, So we all kind of like came on board at a similar time, and that was when I guess I was part. I became part of, of a of a company um, for
0: five years before I started Cake. And when you started Cake in two thousand and five, I mean, what was that experience like? By the time I started Cake, it
1: was at least 10 years of experience in the industry, which I think was pivotal because it takes a lot to start a company. It's very hard to begin a company that you have to shoulder. And it's at the time, or at least for me and the way I process and and work, that 10 years of experience uh, where I was... Freelancing and then contributing um, in a multi-dimensional way, right, to uh, another company. Um, the necessary stage just kind of prepared me then to to um, be part to, to 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 begin to begin cake, right? Um, so, in a way, when you start. Uh, a theatre company, it's it's really also starting to introduce to the artistic landscape a, a kind of a performance language that you define. And the performance language or the performance vocabulary is unique. And if you look at the arts landscape, and you look at the different participants or the the different members of the community, we have a synergy. Um, We understand and are working towards the same goal, which is to really bring figure and, and dynamism to this arts landscape. And by doing that, and by looking at us sort of anatomically, I guess, you realize that the language of arts is really polydynamic. It's it's a language that is, um, it's a vocabulary that has different nuances and different cadences. It's not a general kind of speak. Um, So in a way, it's like tongues. You know, sometimes it's coming from the same source, maybe, right? A a, a kind of a, it's coming from a community of people, of cultural practitioners, of creative people that decide that they are going to lend themselves to this fabric of of this city's um, creative, temperature, I guess. Um, But we're all speaking in a slightly different uh, tone. We're all because we're all what we do in the arts is that we embrace um, diversity, and we embrace nuance in the ways that we express ourselves. It's not general, right? It's not general. The arts is not just the arts. What does it look like? Actually, it's got different shades. It's 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 a spectrum, and and this spectrum that we are all part of, um, and that we start to forge relationships with the wider public, um, is a really ingrained journey. It's a journey that 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 our audiences need to take with us and slowly grow with us because it's not a it's it's a language that the arts, the language of creativity or the language of art strives towards a kind of an honesty. And sometimes um, that that honesty or that truth, and when I say honesty or truth, I'm not talking about um, historical fact. Arts is not beholden to being historically accurate. That's not the purpose of art. So truths are, are found in human stories, in human memory, and our memories are as real as they, as they exist within our own experience. right? And I think that's in a sense um, what I think in essence um, connects me to this pathway. Which is an understanding that, that, that human beings are, are vessels of stories, that in essence we are we're blood and we're water and we're story. And within a person, uh, we we no two people are alike because no two people have experiences that are exactly alike. So we have perspectives that are related to our social and economic background, to um, the way our names sound to the to geopolitically where we're situated in the world, to to our health, you know, if we experience um, to our health and to our um, to our to our family and background, to then um, the societies that we inhabit, all these things become part of the the stories that that then artists express whether they are then personal or, or political or social or whether they seem to be controversial or whether they seem to be um, poetic or in a harder language or in a more um, uh, popular language, so to speak, whether it manifests itself, however it manifests itself, the common factor is that, that we are finding ways of, of reflecting the human experience in all its Dimensions across across time, you know that the past, the present, the future is reflected in like uh, in a kaleidoscopic way in and through the arts. So, which is why I'm an advocate for it, and I am a, I am a, a believer in it, even when the going gets tough, and even when when um, when it seems uphill. And you're always kind of um, swimming against the tide or you know swimming upstream in some ways Um, it's still worth it's still well worth what we
0: all put into it yeah i mean yeah I, i guess you know it's not prescriptive it's a conversation right and you know it's all about these perspectives and i i find that oftentimes what's very personal tends to then reveal itself to be the collective you know, like you kind of um, identify with what someone else is going through, for example. And um, I'm sure, you know, through your productions, you were able to express that and bring everyone along on the journey um, to kind of mature together almost. And I I wonder, you know, was it difficult for you to kind of balance, you know, the big picture for your company with like all the small details that goes into running a company? Like, how did you balance the two?
1: I mean, a, a company is run by, um, you need a couple of key people, right? in, in a company and um, so to have like an, a, a producer, an important, you know, producers are really important parts of, uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an arts company. And you'll find that artistic people come into partnership with, with producers. So, um, um, and then, and then you build a team of different kinds of uh, skilled people, so people who are who like would be skilled in in, in handling production. And you also invite associate artists. So um, so cake, for instance, has 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 you know the likes of of Brian Gothong Tan, um, Andy Lim, people who are specialized in artists in their own right, with their own trajectory, but. So then what you do is that you start to bring together a group of people who are differently skilled. We all don't have um, the same level of skills. We all are specialized in, in some ways and, and, and are not so great in other ways. So what you need to do when you're building an entity, when you're building a festival, when you're building uh, a team, um and all good, all anything that's worth doing comes from collaboration, from from allowing yourself to be part of a, a team, and and then exercising your specific strength. So that way, then your strengths. It's not about diluting. In fact, I, I find that what's an important thing about collaboration is us very people who know who they are professionally and creatively so you come in with your strength but you also come in with an openness so that you can so that you don't um, so that you're very confident in what you bring to the group but you also are not um, but you also have the space for other people with their expertise to kind of to come in so so if someone has a marketing skill, um, or uh, someone who's who's good with sort of numbers and uh, and 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 kind of taking care of that, then you make sure that you bring sort of these people um, in the group, but who also have the kind of same spirit. So the skill is different from spirit, right? You need to have your spirit needs to be aligned, but your skills can be very different. Mm.
0: And how do you see that? playing out in CIFA as well. Because it sounds almost as if you know that is the formula that is also used with something like CIFA.
1: Yeah. And I think it's it's a it's a it's a structural, it's a it's a kind of a it's a discovery of how that's the best way of working is to actually be a nimble team. Uh, and it takes, uh, so to be a nimble team, which is what SIFA is. I mean, SIFA is organized by Arts House Limited. And in essence, at a, at a core level, it's a really, um, it would be, it's quite nimble, I would say, you know, the different departments. And, and you're talking about a festival. So it's like different wheels need to be turning. So you have from 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 the if, Sort of like the events organizer part, you know that team, and then the marketing team, and then the you know the finance team is always looking after things, and 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 we're all part of it, right? Um, the strategic team, and then the Sifa team, which is at the heart of it, right? Uh, which is again an even smaller kind of of, of group of us that, but and surrounded by all these different wheels. Uh, that are turning to make a festival happen. Um, And I guess if if you were to say, what is, what is that, what is, what does that look like? It's again, people with very different, who are specialized in different ways, right? Who don't, who respect uh, each other's roles and what, what the parts we we are playing in this role, what we each bring our different sort of areas of, Expertise, and we're all aligned towards. We have a vision for the festival. Um, we are carrying. We're custodians. We understand that we're also custodians of a festival that is in its you know fourth decade now, right? So you you come in with that sort of. Um, Uh, pride of being, of taking care of something that's existed and before you will exist after you and that is larger than the sum of us, right? The festival belongs to the artists of the city and the people of the city and then, and it invites uh, people of other cities and, um, and other places. So, I think all of us, as part of the festival, understand that uh, privilege of being part of something that is um, that is vital, that is that is uh, an important part of this larger artistic landscape
0: that we're all part of. yeah. I want to pick up a couple of things you were talking about. You know, the first is, of course, yes, CIFA has such a long history, beginning in 1977 as the Singapore Festival of Arts. Um, so the first question would be, you know, what traditions are you keeping, but also what innovations, you know, are you bringing to the table? And, you know, CIFAR 2022 is titled "The Anatomy of Performance Ritual." Um, how did the idea for this come about, and and how have they been working out so far? yeah
1: so for me the, the festival the, the tenets of the festival always had to remain so when I came on board I, I looked at that to me it, it's always it's always been a multidisciplinary festival it's always um, uh, celebrated contemporary work uh, it always um, it always elevated local artists and it always brought um, uh, um, an exciting international kind of dimension into our uh, our perspective, right? So for me, uh, the festival always has to be created in the moment, and it is a it's a contemporary festival, and and festivals respond to the moment in time that they occupy. So we're coming out from the pandemic. So the planning for the festival took place over the two years of the pandemic. So. Uh, and none of us knew how long the pandemic would 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 um, last. So I decided to then kind of uh, build a festival based on on what time affords you. So for an artist, for a creative person, one of the ingredients towards um, creation, a useful ingredient is time. So I I kind of. My early conversations, the conversations that I had as early as tail end of 2019, which is just before the pandemic, was to kind of and then into the and then just into the pandemic uh, was was to meet with with artists and arts companies and to say, look, make creative, make original work for the festival. So basically, putting out their uh, festival commissions, works that would um, that would. Sort of, I would say, maybe birth themselves, you know, really manifest themselves for the first time um, during the festival. So, works that you couldn't kind of watch anywhere else in the world, right? That hadn't previously existed, that were being made rigorously, um, and that the festival was in conversations with and was supporting, right? Um, in different ways, right? And then also engaging with, 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 Artists with really strong uh, voices in Singapore and then and then regionally too. Because what I asked um, for, what I always brought considered in the initial conversations, whether they the conversations began with local artists or with international artists, was what was the was what would be the meaningful international dynamic in the festival. So because it wasn't so easy to say maybe invite. to book maybe a, a, a major work from overseas because you wouldn't know if they could travel, right? We didn't know if travel. So then I, I, I let that go, but I it was still important that, that SIFA uh, embrace an internationality, which has always been there. So it couldn't just be inward. We couldn't just do works that were local. I didn't think that that was the spirit of it. But then it was about how you create. I was really going for, I wanted a festival that had a parallel track. So rather than hybrid, it would be a a complete liveness. So I was, I was planning for a festival that would be live. Um, and therefore, you know, I planned for works to take place at the power station. Uh, the dr- Drama Box was wanted to do their work on Ubin and I was all for it. And then also the conventional venues like um, like Victoria Theater, Esplanade Theatre, I was, I was very keen to do that. And then also on a parallel track, I kind of imagined this uh, space, uh, um, define the space called Life Profusion, which is a which is a digital kind of stage of and and of course um, this idea brought together with the team, bringing on board um, sort of curators like a syndicate uh, to 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 kind of. Uh, curate sort of uh, these digital, digital these bite-sized digital performances, and then to also have um, a kind of a, a larger engagement with the ideas and artistry. Another aspect of life profusion is is read, and I have uh, I invited Hong Sing Yi, who is an arts writer, to curate writers to then expand the ideas that were being explored in the festival. And so if you go to live profusion on the Sifa website, you, you, you realize that, that there is an engagement with a digital engagement that goes on beyond the timeframe of the festival. So the physical festival is over, right? It, it, we had three weeks of, of intensity and live encounters. Um, But running parallel while the festival was on was Life Profusion, and now Life Profusion continues to have its life, right? So you've got some CIFAR on demand works where you can actually uh, watch some of the works um, that were captured, uh, uh, that are captured during the festival. Um, and And then there's also so many other sort of articles. There are these um, digital works that you can encounter, there are these articles that you can read, there are discussions that you can hear. So, so this, this repercussion, these sort of reverberations um, uh, that a festival uh, can, uh, that can permeate from a festival is important. And so I think that's what that space is. So, so for me, it was coming up with a, a reimagining of Sifa's digital presence and also um boldly going forth uh with original work and festival commissions uh because and, and finding a way to 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 create in in a during a pandemic time. so I think a lot of the live works too you would see is a manifestation of of how artists were working, so for instance, in um Devil's Cherry, for instance, that took place. In a, in a vitally at the Panjang power station, you know, with four performers, but Paul and Kayleen did a lot of that, a lot of the work um, online in the beginning, because they were in, when they were, when they c- were beginning to work with KSU and Sweden initially, and, and talking to the designers, a lot of that had to be done on Zoom. And then when they were working with Raina Peterson, who is, who is an, another uh, Australian-based actor uh, in, in the work, you know, there was a lot of negotiating, creating, you know, Kingson in his work, uh, Project Salome, also kind of built a documentary. The documentary part of his work was filmed over the pandemic in his apartment. So I was also engaging with artists who were going to make robust artistic works, um, because creation takes place over time, so a lot of the fe- all the festival commissions took place over, you know, um, one and a half years, which was the pandemic years. Drama Box, uh, when they did their work on Ubin, they had to negotiate. You know, part of part of what they create artistically is the live participatory experience, and you know, there was there's so much up in the air about whether they can um, whether they can have audiences sit together, whether they can have this kind of discussion, whether they, what it meant. And so, you know, you had to be in partnership with, with arts makers and companies who were also bold, who also understood what it meant to just kind of um, play within the changing rules of the pandemic. So getting on board, knowing these uh, artists over years and years and years, watching their works, following them, being inspired by them, um, for me, prepared me. so this this role, I think, if it's 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 twenty years in the making. You can't just land in this role without sort of um, um, having that level of experience,
0: I feel. Uh, so so this is these are some of the new things that I brought to the festival. Yeah, I mean, it's so fascinating to hear you talk about how you've put it all together together with all these other um, assisted, differently skilled collaborators. and I'm just, you know, picking up the fact that like, you are so able to balance like, the creative and the practical aspects of running the festival and also paying attention to both the digital and the physical. Um, I wonder, you know, it sounds like, of course, you are completely entrenched in this scene. You, you love it, you know, you are in your family. But I'm wondering whether, you know, after 20 years of doing this. What do you enjoy the most about your work? And is there still something that you do right now that you would rather outsource? Um, I think to answer that question,
1: to love something is a complex thing. And I think I understand when, when you say that to love something is not that you, you like everything about it and not, and, and not that everything love is more like a choice right where when the going gets hard or when because it's a really it's a tough it's a really testing industry to be part of so when i say i love it it's a choice to remain in the arena even when it is um so it it shouldn't be i guess i i don't want to also paint this picture that that it's rosy a rosy picture it takes a lot of grit and you can lose your spirit in it a lot because it because it's tough so you really need to kind of um, in a sense and 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 even when you talk about a family or an artistic community it doesn't mean because because it doesn't mean as it is in family you sometimes you you don't sometimes you 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 have to agree to disagree or or you but, but you so so it's by no means an easy path, and for me, it's not about when you talk about um, I've always worked with I've always worked in a way where I knew that that to make this work, to make the festival work, and to make our artistic scene work, you have to kind of you always be in collaboration, you're always looking outwards actually. So my collaborators have always been across disciplines. Um, I've always invited sort of other people into, into uh, the picture whenever I was making work. So I, I, I never actually think that um, I'm doing everything by myself. I never have. I don't think it's possible to do that i think that i've always either allowed myself or 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 gave myself allowed myself to accept the invitation to be part of a a group or an entity that was that was creating some kind of artistic experience or or i i charted a kind of a a, a pathway for that right and and then invited other people in so I don't feel like I ever do anything by myself. And I certainly um, uh, don't want to. I don't think it's possible. I think in the spirit of of dialogue, in the spirit of doing things that are meaningful, you need to be doing it with um, as many different, diverse, and um, and, uh, committed people. From all walks of life, all dimensions of this industry, um, and to always be looking outward,
0: and inward, simultaneously. That's, I think, a very real, but still optimistic way of looking at things. And um, I just have two last questions. Could you share, you know, a source of inspiration that has been uplifting recently? I think, you know, through the pandemic, people were constantly looking, I guess outwards as well, right? For something to kind of keep you going or like to give you just that you know, spark for creativity or for inspiration. So, you know, is there like a podcast, an Instagram account, a show, an exhibition, you know, that has been particularly, you know, inspiring to you in recent times?
1: Yeah, I listen to Autumn, which is this long form journalism. So you have these readers, these wonderful readers who, who read um, articles from, Mother Jones, The Atlantic, The New Yorker. I also uh, I subscribe to The New Yorker and Freeze magazine. So um, these are kinds of my some of the things that are always sort of I, they're close to me, right? so 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 these things have have been kind of constant actually over the past two years, where I've been where I kind of am listening to different perspectives about um, art and and I guess the social and political movements that have been, um, I guess, shifting the ground um, in recent years um, uh, across, you know, different areas when it comes to kind of equality and, and notions of, of justice i think all these things are, are connected to the creative life
0: mm-hmm. and speaking of creative life looking back at your own creative journey so far how have the zigzags led you to where you are today and what do you look forward to achieving in the years to come i've always i mean i think it's it's
1: a great title for uh, zigzag right because I think we're all on a trajectory and I think everything that we do sometimes uh, we go on uh, detours or meanders on tangents but everything I think um, contributes to our creative life and there's no new thing I think I think everything in life adds to how one expresses oneself creatively some of us choose the uh, creativity as part of our professional life, so which means that our creativity is also injected in a kind of a, I guess in a in a very direct way. I mean, I, I think creativity is in every part of life, right? Whether or not whatever you do, it's a it's a it's a human thing. But but those of us who are in this kind of who are in this um, realm of contributing to the cultural landscape. Um, we're also exercising our creativity in a, in a very um, real and tangible uh, way as part of our professional life, right? So for me, um, like I say, the where I have um, one of the alphabets, so to speak, one of the landing points where I'm at at, at for 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 Sifa, um, you know, is is. is it, it, there were other landing points before that, from from VJC Theatre Studies to LaSalle, to freelancing, um, to the Necessary Stage to Cake, um, and then to Sifa. And to me, it's the next alphabet, whatever it might be, whether it's C or. X or <laughs> Y or B. It shouldn't. It's not linear. Wherever it goes, I think um, I'm open to it, and and I think I'll be okay because I'm already on a track. You know, um, come come what may, um, uh, I'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for connecting the dots for us. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you to hear about your journey. So thank you so much, Natalie. And thank you for listening to From A to Zigzag. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, do subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at From A to Zigzag. Till the next episode, bye.